Charlie's Theron's movie career, one movie at a time. I'm the co-host, Bob Shields, and I'm here with our two primary hosts, Robin Elaine Hitchcock Hi. and Regina Connolly, Hello. whom I announced in that order to avoid implications of nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> this week's movie is the 2003 remake of The Italian Job, and uh, how did we feel about it, guys? We're going to do the one sound review. I think we should do the one sound review. This the way. ultimate spoiler-free review. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's my sound. Ah. <laughs> my sound, I think, will be... And I think mine is probably the same as Robin's. It's going to be... Ah. That's a little bit nicer than mine. That was a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah, it's it one a... noise, but there's a lot of layers. Yeah, I thought it was kind of satisfying, this movie, but ultimately not very memorable. No. I have an expression called airplane movies. When I lived in South Africa, that brings my mentions up to, I think, three, we came home a, a good amount, and it's a 16-hour flight, so I'd end up watching at least three movies every flight. A movie that will keep my attention, but I don't really need to watch carefully, is the perfect airplane movie. Although, yeah. to be fair, this did not keep my attention. I had to watch the second half again, because I completely lost interest the first time and started going on the internet. Am I right that this is the same director as Fate of the Furious? That yes. is correct. Okay. I'm Gary Gray. So yeah. that's part of the reason we're doing this and also just in keeping with the Charlize and Carr movie plot. So there are three people who graduated from this movie into Fate of the Furious. Charlize being the primary one, F. Gary Gray, and Jason Statham. Mm -hmm. All of whom are infinitely better in Fate of the Furious correct. than they are here. Yeah, all of them learned some lessons in the intervening years. Yeah. <laughs> So this was a movie that my mom, of all people, was like, I liked it. And my mom was not a big movie person, and she wasn't a big, like, action movie person. And after I watched it, I was like, oh, I can see why she enjoyed it, because it was not gratuitously violent. Really? Right. And it was just sort of like, oh, this is fun. Oh, it's hijinks without, like, terrible stakes. There are not terrible stakes. There yeah. are really no stakes at all in this movie. I mean, it's rev it's a revenge plot for a murder, but they are all really cheery for that. <laughs> also, like, I think the movie glosses over that the conclusion, spoilers, is that they're like, oh, uh, Ed Norton, we are handing you over to the Ukrainian mob to be pulled apart slowly by machines. We're gonna go have champagne and celebrate! I and like, agree. He is getting brutally murdered, but they're like, not our hands, guys. Not our hands. <laughs> and that's seems a little weird. Yeah, I mean, this movie is tonally... Uh, it's it, it's both tonally flat in that nothing... There's no real high highs or any really worrying, scary lows. No, and you can tell every move that's going to come well before it comes. Right. But then it also has this weird thing where, like, Edward Norton is this really spiteful, horrible character... But he's not, like, scary or anything. He's just kind of unpleasant. I think that's because I don't think I've ever seen an actor look more bored to be oh, yeah. in a role. He's barely than... trying. So I have a note, which is that if a baby, our third podcast can be 
of looking at Edward Norton, even though I, that feels really boring to me. But I have a <laughs> hypothesis about him, which is that he's not a very good actor. See, I think that Ed Norton is a good actor, but that he sort of suffers from asshole face sometimes. Or that, well, like, he, he often... is an asshole in real life. Oh, God. Oh. I try not to know these I'm things. I'm sorry. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think, like, in this role in particular, like, they're standing on a bridge, and they just, like, pulled off this heist. And, like, he just looks like all he wants to do is yawn and simultaneously shoot everyone. Even when he's murdering people, he seems bored. He's like, ugh. Also, like, his mustache seems bored. Like, it wants to crawl off of his face so Why? bad. It's it's so, it's the worst facial hair in a and movie. And no one had mustaches in 2003, so he, I don't get it. I did. I couldn't tell if it was a soul patch or if he just got ink under his lip. Like, it was really <laughs> gross and weird. And it's, like, very thin just on top of his lip. It's, I feel like it's there so that you know in the beginning that he's evil. Do you know, yeah. do you remember the Dapper Dan toy where it would be, like, a f- real smiley face with iron shavings that oh, you'd yeah. move with a magnet? That's what his mustache looks like. <laughs> Wait, wasn't the point of that you could make the mustache look however you wanted? Yeah, but it's just what the mustache looked like when Regina played with that toy. Yes, but also I just mean like color and texture. Like it just looked oh, fake. Sure. It looked like a prop <laughs> slapped onto his face. Like he didn't grow that out of his skin, did he? So, okay. I forgot that much like there was the cottage industry of Pulp Fiction knockoffs in the mid-90s, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were all those remakes of 60s heist movies. Yeah. Or at least Thomas Crown Affair, Ocean's Eleven, and this. But yeah, this this movie is basically, they take everything that is they think is popular about Ocean's Eleven, The Fast and the Furious, and the mini chase from Jason Bourne, yep. or the Bourne Identity, and then like blend it together in a computer, and then this is what comes out. Like, this is the smooth blending of all those movies. I forgot there was a mini chase in Jason Bourne. Oh my god, that is, I think, one of the most sublime car chases ever it's filmed. A great I forgot that they were in minis, though. It's, one, it's just one mini. Just one mini. Okay. It's, it's in the first movie, and it's her car, and he, like, asks her about if the tires are inflated enough, and she's like, it's a bit splashy on the one side. It's like an old, beat-up red mini, oh, and that, okay. like, and it goes down the stairs and like, fun techno music so, plays. So, a note is that I think that the mini chase in this movie is, like, the best product placement of all time, because yes. they had just relaunched Mini Coopers. Oh, yeah. I think the three Mini Coopers moving in unison has more charm and charisma than a Edward Norton in the entire movie. Yeah. I was like, those oh, cars yeah. are more adorable and fun to watch. Well, that's, the, I've, I've never seen the original, but I do know it has Mini Coopers in it. I mean, yeah. that's what it was famous for. It was, okay. it was famous for two things. They recreate one of them badly, because at one point they're like, oh, his hallways are six feet wide. You know right. what that means? Charlie's Theron drives a Mini. And then they use the new style of Mini, which aren't very Mini. She, she drives a regular small Mini, and then they, because of product placement... Get use the, the large, regular-sized Mini. Oh, so, I didn't yeah, notice that. It doesn't really make any sense that they would use those cars, because I think they're probably more than six feet wide. But yeah, so the, they had this the original style of Mini, which is very small, and yeah. then they chose to use the larger, new style of Mini, because that's when they were released. Like, it was a commercial for that product. Right, but a great one. This yeah. is really great product placement, oh, guys. Yeah. The it's other... like Reese's Pieces. It's up there with that. <laughs> the other thing that it was famous for, which seems like it was prime, like it could have easily been slotted in there, was it was famous for the phrase, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, <laughs> which is Michael Caine. Jason Statham is in this movie. He's the only Londoner with a Cockney accent in the movie, and they never says it. And they blow things up all the time. Exactly. They could have easily blown something up too much, and he could have said that, 
but they didn't put it in. And That's I don't shame. know why. It seems like the primary reason to cast Jason Statham in a Italian Job remake. And they didn't take advantage of it. Also, Jason Statham's character, his whole thing is he's the best wheelman in the world. And do we ever see him drive a getaway car? Really? He drives a getaway boat. He drives a getaway boat. That's another cool sequence in this movie. I like that. I, did, yeah. I, I, I love a good boat chase. So that was good. I was like, it's a little obvious that the, the safe wasn't on the boat. You have to be the dumbest yes. the dumbest henchman in the world. We're like, oh, they must have caught that 5,000 pound safe on that boat and then just sailed right. away with it. Right? <laughs> I mean, I guess they also want to catch the thieves. Hmm. But I gotta say, I've never been to Venice. I love how in movies it seems like there's a canal between rooms of a house. Right. Like, are there actual streets in Venice? I don't want to know the answer because I just want to believe that it's like, okay, <laughs> to get from the living room to the bathroom, just jump over right. this wee crack. <laughs> so I, I, I have a feeling that it's probable that there's maybe like one building or like one small area of Venice that's like that and all movies use that location from multiple different angles, so right. it looks huge and sprawling, but actually it's like it's just like the harbor area is like that. <laughs> Do you think people are like, oh man, they shut the, the waterway down again, I can't get anywhere. <laughs> They're filming another movie, I'm stuck in my boat. If oh. we have any Venetian listeners, please let us know. <laughs> what is life like for you? And I, want, I want to know, how often does your long canal boat get cut in half by a speedboat? Because that seems to happen in every chase through Venice. Yes. Yeah. So we should summarize the plot. So we've talked about about what they're they are thieves yes and they are the movie starts in venice and they are stealing gold that is the italian job yes the titular italian job takes place in the first 10 minutes correct and then the rest of the movie's in la yes a little bit in philly charlie's there and lives in philly but yes they're stealing gold and they do so in this elaborate with explosive paint uh, on two floors of a building which causes the safe to drop down and they make it look like it drops into a boat which they drive away on, but actually it's at the bottom of the, the canal. Uh, they crack the safe open and steal it, uh, and there's like $30 million worth of gold 35. in there. $35 million worth of gold in there. And then, after a successful job, Edward Norton betrays them, kills Donald Sutherland, and leaves them all for dead in a frozen canal. So then, it cuts to like a year later, just mm-hmm. over a year later, and Charlie Croker... Which is Mark Wahlberg. And you will remember his name is Charlie because every single character in every line of dialogue makes sure to include his name. It's like, hey, Charlie, let's go look at this. What does Charlie think about this? Have you talked to Charlie about this? Charlie's going to get the car. Charlie did this. I was like, I get it. It also was distracting because I was paying attention to Charlie's. I know. (laughs) Although I did enjoy when Donald Sutherland say it because he would say it like Charlie. And that's how everyone should say Charlie. (laughs) So Mark Wahlberg goes to get... Charlie's Charlie's <laughs> and uh, who is Donald Sutherland's daughter? Yes, who is Donald Sutherland's daughter, and she is a no nonsense, hyper professional, uh, very sexy lady, safe her, mechanic, yeah, she's safe and vault technician. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And she she declares that very proudly because she doesn't want to get involved in the criminal underworld, and she never looks inside. She never looks inside. So he comes to her place of business. Which, which apparently is a jeweler's for locks. I think it's like a locksmith shop. She rejects him outright. Says, "I'm not getting involved. I don't want to see you again." Blah blah blah. And then you see her like stew over it, which is a thing that I didn't realize doesn't really happen anymore in movies. You, normally, people just go and be like they get convinced or like they're 
coerced into something. But this is like, she flat out rejects him, and then you see her, like, sat in her apartment, like, thinking about it, and then she picks up the phone and is like, I'm in. This is why I'm in. And then, I was just like, I appreciated that they took the time to do that, which is rare these days. Uh, and then, of course, she then goes to meet them, and she gets introduced to the whole team. Which I, I thought, actually, the team introduction scene was kind of cool. Like I agree. I oh. agree, Other although those wipes... Those wipes, guys. Oh, that oh, was a whole thing back that's then. A, that's an ocean to live in, Colin. Yeah. yeah. I, so, okay. In the team introductions, so they have Jason Statham's the wheel man. The artist formerly known as Most Deaf is Demolitions. So then there's Seth Green. Okay, and the character introduction for Seth Green is so adorably dated. I can't deal oh with God. it. So the idea is he's the hacker, and the idea is that he is the real Napster. He invented Napster, which was a music download website for our younger listeners. <laughs> and his roommate in college... Who was the actual Sean Fanning? That was the real Sean Fanning. And it Fanning. was the real Sean Fanning. And the best part of this, stole the stole Napster while Seth Green was a diskette. And that's exactly yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> three and a half inch floppy. I can't deal with it. Like, Bob, you know more about computers. It is not conceivable that that program would fit on a floppy disk, so right? I made an identical note. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Napster fit on a floppy disk, but like I'm thinking, about, I actually didn't check it out. I made a note and then forgot to follow up. But I'm pretty sure Napster, the program Napster that you had to install, was larger than 1.4 megabytes. Right? I'm pretty sure it was. Also, I just think that the most adorable part of this is that the reason Napster was named Napster is because he was taking a nap when it got stolen, and that's what the the thief decided to name it. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, anyone else in the the crew other than... uh, Most Def blew up a toilet. Right. That's how he became leftier. And then there's Mark Wahlberg. Yes. Charlie. Right. (laughs) And he is very Mark Wahlberg-y. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He is just himself in every movie. He is... He's even when he's playing like a hard-boiled New York cop from a video game. He's just—he's <laughs> the Mark Wahlberg version of that character. Yeah, in everything. He's so, just himself. Liz and I were talking about uh, Michelle Rodriguez and how she should be in more movies. It's true. Um, I like we were talking about like so. I don't necessarily think she has the biggest range as an actress, but I think the thing that she does is like so intense and yeah. good. And I'm like, if she were a dude, like being you know that intense in a singular mode would be enough for her to have like a massive career. And I think Mark Wahlberg is like a good comparison of like someone who only ever does one thing in movies. Yeah, but he is a much bigger star than Michelle Rodriguez, who I think is worth ten of him. I would, I like Mark Wahlberg, but he is no Michelle Rodriguez. And he's really, he's exceptionally bland in this movie. Yeah. Because it's a pretty bland movie. Okay, so I have a note about Mark Wahlberg's affability, if I can interrupt the plot summary for a second. So, essentially the movie keeps alluding to Charlize Theron and Charlie are gonna fall in love with each other. But they also are very heavy-handed in terms of, like, they're like brother and sister. Because Charlie was with Donald Sutherland, who was never around his daughter, and they had a very, like, father-son relationship. And I think the only person in this movie that she has any chemistry with is Jason Statham. And they have, like, very little interaction, but it's like, they're both really good at driving. They both are, I don't know, quippy and interesting. But in the end, she ends up in a boat with Charlie. And that's it. It's during the credits they show them together. Yes. But they don't really have, like, they have, like Regina said, some brotherly, sisterly interaction. Like, they have some, like, serious talks. Mm-hmm. But they do not seem romantically inclined towards each other at all. Zero yeah, amount. The, the only thing you have is, like, Charlize, who is by far the best actor in the mm-hmm. whole thing. 
she like convincingly emotes like that she is finding him charming. Yeah. But the situation under which she's doing that don't make any sense. Right. Like, she's like, oh, you saw me in my bra. This is awkward and blah, blah, blah. And then she's all like smiling and finding him charming when it is decidedly not charming at all. <laughs> It's very strange. I think Charlize is put in a very awkward position in this movie because I found this movie to be way more casually sexist than I expected it to be. Well, one issue is that Charlize is essentially the only woman in the film. Oh, yeah. She has a two-sentence interaction with her unnamed secretary. So it does pass the Bechdel test. They have to be named characters. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Element. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, like, this movie just has, like, a lot of weird sexism and in some ways I'm like, is the movie commenting on what it would be like to be a beautiful woman as a cable technician because like she goes to Edward Norton's house to like scope it out and she's pretending to be a cable tech and he's in like this like horrible flasher robe and he's got that disgusting like soul patch he going on creep. he's just gross and he's like hey I want to ask you out to dinner and she's like I just met you five minutes ago I am not going on a date with you and I don't think the movie is necessarily commenting on like hey I bet that would totally happen if you were a vaguely attractive woman technician going into a dude's house and then he like just keeps talking about wanting to take you out like you know that's all they did with her in the yeah. movie oh I just remembered though Becky the true cable technician whose outfit and paperwork yes. are stolen by Jason Statham, who seduces her. Right. And they also have Seth Green take the time to mention that he thinks she's stupid in the car, when right. she's, like, doing the interaction. Like, Seth Green, unfortunately, has some of, the, like, the worst sexist stuff, where he, like, casually jokes about tapping his ex's phone for over a year. Yeah. And then he also wants to buy a stereo that can blow a woman's clothes off, which is oh, not even successfully real. does at the end of the movie. Well, we don't see it. But I'm right. like, if it was blowing her clothes off, wouldn't she also go deaf- also, isn't that weirdly <laughs> assaulty? Yes, it's definitely assaulty. Although, I gotta say, I do like Seth Green's uh, imitation of yes. Jason Statham. I thought that conversation was really funny. I just wish that it wasn't also like, ah, oh, you, you must be dumb because you're pretty. Right. Let's say that Charlize is shit at undercover in this movie. <laughs> I would have liked it so much more if she had when she goes on the date with Edward Norton. She does, so that the house will be open so that they can go rob him. She's originally gonna stand him up because she's the safe cracker. Right. But then they can't there's a contrived reason they can't do the heist that night. And so she goes on the date. And I would have loved if she actually tries to engage him and instead she looks like she's miserable and then gives up who she is Right. In a way that I wasn't sure if she was meant to do it. I think she's meant to... So she she says a phrase that her dad often says. There's a stupid catchphrase that Donald Sutherland says at the beginning, which is, "Trust. I trust everyone, but just don't trust the devil inside them. Mm -hmm. And then the plot point is supposed to be that she says it in the exact same way, and he recognizes it. But she says it in a different way that doesn't make any sense. Like she, It's the same Words. content. But yeah. she doesn't pronounce, she doesn't say it in the same like order or way or anything that he I says. I mean, like. I think it's a unique enough expression that it makes sense that Edward Norton would yeah. guess that. I also feel like he maybe should have been a little bit more suspicious of beautiful cable technician <laughs> who agrees to go out with him. He is really bad at being paranoid for someone who right. stole $35 million so, in gold. That's the thing I thought was the most interesting about the movie, and I am pretty certain I'm the only one who watched this movie. I was like, I'm going to think about this. I'm just considering Ed Norton's situation where he sold $35 million worth of gold, which you can't spend gold, so he has to use a fence in order to get cash. 
But I just think about how vulnerable he is with all this money because the only protection that he can have, he has to get illicitly because he's no longer a member of the state because he stepped outside the state to become a criminal. Where I'm like, so he goes to the fence, but if the fence figures out, like, what he is, like, the fence is the one who has the actual power because he's the one giving him the cash. And you sort of see him dick him around a bit being like, I'm only going to take two bars instead of four bars this time. And there's, like, nothing that Ed Norton can do. And you think about, like, the security that he would hire for his house, that, like, just having all that money doesn't actually make his life simpler in any way. And I think the movie doesn't actually comment or bring any of that up, but that's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh, this is sort of Games of Thrones-y, where, like, if you have all the money, but you don't have the power to back it up, like, you're essentially just as vulnerable as anybody else. And what about the IRS? How was he <laughs> laundering this money? Yeah. Because he lives in a explain. mansion. Well, the other thing I thought about is, so, at the very beginning, when he kills Donald Sutherland, but unsuccessfully kills everyone else, like, part of the reason he does that is because Charlie says, you know, there's nowhere you can go where we're not going to find you. And then it takes a whole year for them to find him. But I'm also like, wouldn't that also be true of every single member in the team would have to continue to be dead for over a year so that Edward Norton wouldn't realize that the people he thought he murdered and screwed over were hunting him? So, like, were they all living in secret for an entire year? I feel like Edward Norton is so bad at being paranoid, he just assumed they were all dead and, you know, didn't keep an ear out for them to actually be alive. Okay. So I think the movie is more upset at Edward Norton or thinks we should be more like, oh, he is the worst because he has no taste and no internal passion than the fact that he killed people and is a creep. Because they make, they, when they are celebrating the original job, they all say what they're going to buy and Edward Norton doesn't know what he's going to buy. And then he ends up buying their things. Yes. Which is of course the most reprehensible thing anyone can do. Because if you're going to be a thief, you have to have a charm about you. How dare he buy Seth Green stereo? (laughs) Who cares that he murdered Donald Sutherland? Yeah. I have a note about Charlize in this movie. Very shallow note. Her character is styled so that she looks like she's never wearing makeup. Mm -hmm. But she also is styled like she dresses really well and like wears a French twist to work. Mm -hmm. I think it was their way of emphasizing that she like doesn't have artifice in some ways. Like that she... Like, the movie gave her a very strange arc, I think. Yeah. Um, like, first of all, I think that as much as the characters in the movie doubt Charlize or, like, treat her badly, I didn't get the impression that the movie ever doubted her character's Agreed. ability. Like, yes. she just is a very good safecracker. She's an incredibly good driver. And also, it's implied that, like, her dad was never around, so she is, like, a self-made woman in a way. Right. Like, it's not like her dad taught her how to crack safes, is my assumption. I feel like he did. They don't say that, but he wasn't in jail her entire life. Yeah, but when he wasn't in jail, he wasn't around a lot. Okay, pause. Another question that we must ask is, would this movie be improved by a prison riot? Oh! I think it probably would. There's at least two ways to put one in. One is a flashback to Donald Sutherland as a young man being badass. Yep. And another would be for one of the crew to end up in jail. Well, I think it should be Jason Statham, because we already know that he can do a successful prison riot. Right. And they have this, like, weird plot point where it's like, so he's in the longest car, like, pursuit by cops in history, and there's just a bunch of hot babes, like, we love you, car chase guy. So I think it would be funny if there was a prison riot of, like, all those babes trying to get into the prison. His character's (laughs) name is Handsome Rob, and there's this idea he's irresistible to women. And, like, Jason Statham, like, he's a very charming person and his face is okay (laughs) but i was like "Mm, i don't know about this whole he's 
irresistibly handsome I'm so thing. glad you said that because I was finding that so confusing the whole time. It's not like there's a lack or like a shortage of handsome actors. Right. So it's very strange that he would be cast and not like not for additional reasons. Right. At first like I a thought, Cockney accent. I thought it was like a joke maybe and then I was going to say the opposite which is he's not that unattractive. Right. But then he got out of the bed and he was shirtless and I was kind of like all right, but nice body isn't handsome. That is true. You have handsome pectorals. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> You're weird. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Jason Statham in a prison riot. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Jason Statham is, is an example of one of the caricatures in this movie. The idea that he can just seduce any woman, like that's a superpower that he has. And the other characters are the same. Like Mo's death is a caricature of a demolition expert black dude he is basher from oceans 11 but exactly. less charming but uh yeah so he was a caricature and um seth green obviously is a ridiculous hacker caricature. i love seth green i really enjoyed seth green's character as ridiculous as he is regina's right about the casual sexism but i just was funny he i just i want seth green to be in more things i just like him so i think he would probably be my second favorite i also really like donald sutherland in this for the 10 minutes he's in it oh yeah i wish that he could play kindly grandpa more than fascist <laughs> dictator. I, I think this is, although I found this movie pretty boring in a lot of ways, like it's a heist movie, but it's kind of like, oh, this is taking a while. And meh. I did, I think this might be one of the movies that we've watched so far where like Charlize had the most to do. Like I, I just, I think she was really good in a role that there wasn't a lot going on for yeah. her. And I think, like, in terms of Prison Riot, going back for a second, I would love for there to have been a giant Prison Riot, and because she works with the police, and for her to, like, be at the prison being like, I'll get to the riot in a second, I'm just gonna, like, that she had to, like, break a safe so they could stop the riot with some, like, magic something was in it. Why is there a safe in the prison? <laughs> I don't know! Like, the guards are like, we can't let people get to this something. Maybe it's, like, the personal effects, because, you know, when, in the movies, when you leave jail, they're like, here's your box with your tuxedo in it, Danny Ocean. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. I watched that movie the other night, because this... Put me in the mood for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the other the characters are characters except for Charlize and Mark Wahlberg, mm. who are both extremely dignified. But Mark Wahlberg is barely a character. Well, that's the thing. Mark Wahlberg is just a boring version of Mark Wahlberg. Right. And he has nothing to do. He's just quiet and competent and has no character whatsoever. And Charlize is still, like, the hyper-competent woman, but she at least has, like, emotional reactions to things that are going on. Like, when she sees when she's test-driving the Mini, she obviously has a good time and enjoys right. driving it. And when she, like, is the confrontation in the restaurant, she get, gets emotional and wants to throttle Edward Norton. Whereas what's-his-face... Mark Wahlberg sits down, just has no, like, completely flat affect, like a robot with their emotions turned off. Like, it's weird. Sorry, I was going to say before when you're like, she's really bad at being undercover. I forgive her that because that's the dude who shot her dad. And I think that it's not necessarily that she'd be bad at being undercover under other circumstances, but that she finds it difficult to quell her emotions of being like, you murdered my father and you want to have sex with me. All the more reason for her to just not do that. Okay, I'll grant you that. But I think I think it's understandable, and I think, like, it's probably... I think it was actually better that the date scene, that he figures it out, because I feel like movies are often erring on the side of more successful undercover, and I tend to think, like, that eh, probably wouldn't work as often as they think it does. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
I don't know. I just was like, you're so bad at this. Yeah. yeah. And I wish maybe if they had commented on it, then I would have felt better about it. I thought Jason Statham did. Did he? Wasn't he like, oh, she can't drive, she can't do nothing. But he is wrong about her not being able to drive. She's a very good driver. And they don't explain that, which I kind of love. I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, they introduce it in the... In her opening scene where she's like, she's driving like really fast around a roundabout in yeah. Philly. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, I guess she just drives fast in a mini. And then she perfectly parallel parks because right. her By car going is so small. nose first, which would not have worked. Yeah. <laughs> but she's that good. She is. Yeah. Can I say one of my favorite things about driving in this movie was the sequence where Jason Statham is testing how long it will take them to get from Edward Norton's mansion to the train station. Yeah. But he's stuck in LA traffic. And there's the actor in front of him. Who's uh, Pete from 30 Rides. Yeah. That's it. Oh my god. And also, speaking of people from American comedy shows, Oscar from The Office is the the security security guard. (laughs) But I really like that idea, the idea of LA having impenetrable traffic. Yeah. Although it doesn't really fit with... The Fast and the Furious. (laughs) I guess they do it at night. I'm not sure. But it was a clever idea. And it leads to the plot point of them hacking the grid so that they can have all green lights. Yeah. The best hacking I thought in the movie was when the real Napster puts up a message for the parking authority and the message is one word per monitor. And I was like, he hacked so good. He knew how many monitors there were. <laughs> like, that's how good of a hacker he And is. also his message is you'll never shut down the real Napster, which is pretty clever. Which I also thought was kind of unjust to, to accuse the traffic controllers of that. Like they weren't responsible for shutting down Napster. <laughs> so, like they do a lot of good. <laughs> When they practice uh, changing the lights, they cause like a six car pile up and they're yeah. like, oh, well, yeah. cool, moving on. <laughs> yeah, they're like, ah, it's just an accident, whatever. But I got to say that the green lights thing reminded me of the craft. Yes. And I like the idea of hacking being magic. Yeah, I agree. What if this movie just had a, a wizard or a witch? This movie has Feruza Balk as their magic guy. That would be great. That would be way more interesting. Or maybe instead of giving him to the Ukrainians, they just give Ed Norton to a coven of witches. (laughs) So I think, uh, unrelated to witches, I feel like I would argue that Charlize is the main character of this movie because she's the only character that actually experiences an arc of any kind that goes through any change because she starts off as a French twist wearing, buttoned up, I never look in the safe and I use headphones when I crack a safe. And at the end she's all loose and uses her feelings to get inside the safe which i think we're supposed to think is like a good benefit for her right and then she runs off to venice with the thief that got her dad killed that's so weird to me because he's still responsible for that right yep it's yeah it's very sudden and that that what you're saying like that's the only like follow-through thing that comes out it's like she doesn't look in the safe and at the end she's like absolutely i want to look in the safe yeah it's the only check off the gun in the whole thing if charlie's were a man she would be the main character in this movie yes correct a thousand percent. Yep. Okay, I think it's time for Who is Keanu? Oh, it's well past time for Who is Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously my first instinct was Keanu is Mark Wahlberg, but I feel like the character is so bland that I love Keanu, but he would also maybe not be able to inject any life into that role. Correct. Yeah, it's not well written. Sorry, Keanu. <laughs> so I think Keanu would be Edward Norton. Oh. He would be the villain. You think, really want Keanu to be evil. You love evil Keanu. I think Keanu's done evil enough. He's only, been, <laughs> he's only been evil in a couple of movies. And I think he would be... I think he could take that character and make him scary. Because the character's not unscary because of the way it's written. 
It's unscary because of the way it's played. Because Edward Norton is it just doesn't bored. Give a shit. Yeah. yeah. So if Keanu Reeves was in that and was like like emoting even a little bit, but yeah, I would I would definitely have an evil Keanu. I think that's a great answer. My answer was that he would be the original Becky. Becky is the cable guy and they'd have to like rename the character like Alex or something Buck Buck, and then I love the idea of Jason Statham being like well I guess I'm going to seduce Keanu and it works I love that idea that would be very good I'm going to argue for him being Mark Wahlberg because there's a case to be made I think that he if they sort of ratcheted down the like affability of that character and like a let like a little window of John Wick perfection into that role <laughs> like I mean this is a revenge movie so I feel like he is very good at revenge movies based on it would just be less of a lighthearted romp maybe mm-hmm. and I also think that like he would undeniably have had more chemistry with Charlie's if they're going to force those weird half siblings to be lovers <laughs> oh. uh, that that would work better although maybe I'm sorry maybe I'm going to reverse my vote Maybe it would have been fun if we could age up Keanu and have him play Donald Sutherland. <laughs> and have him be like, it's up to you, kid. It's up to you. Guys, what's old Keanu going to be like? I can't handsome. wait to see. He's so good. So handsome. Yeah, actually, no, I'm going to reverse that vote. He's going to be Donald Sutherland in this. Um, All right. Because I think seeing him get murdered would certainly motivate a van full of people to change their whole lives. Definitely, yeah. Also, they would not have survived that because of hypothermia. It's like icy water. Right, yeah. And they they survive because they still have the breathing tank from the heist, Mm -hmm. which Edward Norton should have thought about that. Yep. But regardless of having He's not the thinker, Mark Wahlberg. That's right. Yeah, I think we've established he's not very thorough. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you say thorough with your accent. (laughs) Oh, a thing I did want to note, though, about the things that people want is that we haven't talked about how most Def's desire for his money is by far the best. I and can't I remember what it is. He wants a house in Spain yep. and a room entirely oh. for his shoes, and they show that at the end, and it includes sneakers and an old white man policy yes. shoes. <laughs> also books. Maybe Keanu should have been that guy. <laughs> <laughs> most Def, can I get you a loafer? <laughs> okay, you guys want to do Ebert or Mebert? I feel like this should get a little do 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 I know. Someday all of our segments will have We're a We're going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> we do, after all, sometimes go to the movies just to have a good time and not to be mired in a slaw of existential despond. That's got to be Ebert. Nebert. It was an Ebert. Oh. Yes. I think I'm O for O. (laughs) I gotta say, I love this. The context of that is that he had just got back from the Cannes Film Festival and hated everything. (laughs) And he just, he was like, everything is so miserable and terrible. And then I got to watch this and I definitely am reviewing this better than I otherwise would (laughs) because of my recent life experiences. Another thing that makes Roger Ebert the greatest critic who will ever live. I will say, I kind of agree. Like this is a very like, turn your brain off. It's not offensive too much. Airplane movie. It's an airplane movie that is not, it's just quietly satisfying, not raucously joyous or anything like that. It would be good to have on the background. It's fine. It's how you describe it. It's just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think like if I had this on in the background when I was like cooking dinner or something, I would only pause what I was doing when the three Mini Coopers were moving in unison. Yep. I think that's the part I'd be like, I need to see this. And everything else, eh, take it or leave it. Right. So I wanted to also touch on uh, F. Gary Gray's involvement. Oh yeah. Because it should be noted that this movie proves that not all action movies are created equal. Yes. Because The Fate of the Furious, 
while it also had insane high-octane chases, also had a scene where a car was just tethered to other cars with harpoons and uh, was also extremely tense. Yeah. Whereas this has minis going through a subway station, like, narrowly avoiding getting crushed by a train. But it's just not very tense or thrilling or anything. It's just kind of like, well, they're doing a thing. He clearly got better at directing movies over the last ten years. Absolutely, or, yeah. And however many. A bigger budget. I would assume that Fate of Fair the Furious enough. cost a, a oh, nickel yeah. more than this one. <laughs> I mean, this was not... I don't think this was a cheaply made no. movie. But this, yeah, it's definitely... It, it proves to me that... The, the Fate of the Furious and the Fast and the Furious franchise in general is not an accident. Correct. Like, it is skillfully and yeah. well made. It seems obvious and effortless, but actually they're trying really hard to entertain you. And this just comes off as kind of flat because I think it was just assumed that the nostalgia and the marketability of right. everything would make it work. And it doesn't. It's nice when mediocre movies make you appreciate great movies Absolutely. More. Mm-hmm. So let's rank it. Yeah. Guys... This is going to be my number two, even though I don't really like it that much. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We just haven't, we've watched five movies. So this is going to be behind Fate of the Furious, obviously. Yep. But ahead of Two Days in the Valley. That F. Gary Gray is doing very well at the top of your list. Yes. Yeah, I think for me, honestly, like just because like I'm more of a dork, I think Eon Flux is going to edge this one out for me. Just because like I'm like subject matter closer to my heart. Yeah. So I think that this will be number three. And I, I will put it ahead of Two Days in the Valley, even though I think that's probably a better script, because I think the likelihood that I will ever rewatch Two Days in the Valley is lower. So even though I think it might be a better movie than The Italian Job, it gets more points for the potential for rewatching. I agree entirely. So I obviously don't, because I'm going to put it below Two Days in the Valley for the exact opposite reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing it on merit, not on repeatability. Right. I'm like, I think Two Days in the Valley is a more creative movie. I think this is just, everything is by the numbers, like, it, everything just kind of plods along. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Two Days in the Valley is at least, it, it's random and weird, and has things that don't go anywhere and are stupid, but it is at least trying to do something creative uh, and I think this one was not. So for me, this is right in between Two Days in the Valley and Eon Flux. So our lists are all different now, guys. No. Oh my goodness. One thing that I wanted to note was this is the pinnacle of one stage of her career. Like, I think the first stage of her career where she is the eye candy. She mm-hmm. is like the girl part. Uh, and if Two Days in the Valley is the beginning part of that phase, discounting Children of the Corps 3, Urban, Urban Harvest... harvest. Two Days in the Valley being the start of this, where she is really rough and not very good and not particularly well used. This is the last, Mm -hmm. where she is the girl sidekick, there to be a girl, but she is like, you know, she's very competent, she's obviously very good, she has her technique down. I think she outacts everyone in this movie. I agree. Yeah. I will say, though, it makes sense because this was her last movie before Monster, for which she won an Oscar. I forget all the time how early in her career Monster happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, I don't want to watch that movie. It's gonna happen. You're gonna have to. Not not soon, guys. (laughs) But the way you can tell this is like a different era of her career is the way Edward Norton like grabs her wrist and she's like, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. If someone did that to Eon Flux, they'd get shanked to death. (laughs) (laughs) If it was Atomic Blonde, the whole place would explode, <laughs> and she'd just stand up covered in soot and smoke a cigarette. Yep. And let's not even speculate as to how the world would end if someone did that to Furiosa. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she'd cut her own arm off. <laughs> awesome. I think what 
now is tell you how you can listen to this, even though you obviously already are, but maybe you're confused about how you got there. Bob, where can people find us? So if you have found us on one platform and are interested in how to get on other platforms, um, we are available on Mixcloud, which may or may not be where you're already listening to this, because that's what we promote most heavily. Uh, we are also findable on every podcast platform now. We just got a broom Stitcher. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, that's the biggest one on Android. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. So we're on basically every podcasting platform, and I just launched our YouTube channel, so if you like to be able to rewind things when you're listening to things on the computer, you can do that on YouTube now. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Theronathon. That's right. Yep. And we're on Facebook at the same handle. At Theronathon. That's right. We don't know what we're going to do next, but I am going to vote for a movie without cars as a main character. Just to to change it up a little bit. I would like to see a non-action movie variety, Charlize. Yeah. So stay tuned and find out what we're doing next. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Alex Reed for our amazing theme song. It is the best podcast theme song ever. If it's not stuck in your head all day, every day, I'm not sure you're a person. All other podcast theme songs, just go home. (laughs) It's over. So thank you, uh, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to my co-hosts. And most of all... Thank, Thank you, you Charlie. <laughs>